Welcome, everybody. I'm Steve Grubbs, your host of the Victory XR Show. And today we have Indiana Wesleyan University with us because in the world of immersive learning, in the world of metaversities, they are doing some really groundbreaking work. And, and so I'm, I'm excited to first introduce you to Dr. Robert Jaslowski, who's really the driving force behind the content creation on Indiana Wesleyan's uh, Metaversity campus. So uh, Dr. Jaslowski, thank you for joining us and, and tell us a little bit about, you know, why are you driving this? Why are you investing time in making this happen when you could be doing something else with your time? <laughs> well, first, thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate being able to speak. Um, so in higher education, um, every couple of years, we pull out classes and we review them and revamp them, kind of refreshing them. Um, and we had actually done Social Work 150, which was introduction to sociology a couple of years ago. Um, and it did come around for the rotation just to take a look at it, right? Um, now, at this, at this time where I was coming up to um, revamping it, my daughter, who's 16, was also in college classes and she was taking Introduction to Sociology. And I got to see um, how mind-numbingly bored she was with the class. Um, a new generation approaching this, this type of subject and, um, and she just found it exhausting. You know, read a book, take a quiz, read a book, write a paper. Um, and so I was thinking like, oh my gosh, like we're gonna revamp this class and it's not going to make it better for people. Um, so I thought, how can we, how can we truly engage? How can we use education um, to immerse people in this, this topic? Because sociology can be pretty dry. Um, it's considered to be a, a general education and it's not really something that people look forward to taking. But the reality is, is that sociology is the study of the individual in their society. So it's them within their community. And that, that's really interesting and timely stuff for today because we live in a world where our social connections are growing exponentially. So um, I, I was thinking about how can we make, I was really thinking about my daughter and how do I, how would I connect with someone of her age and that mindset and make this material come to life? And I, what I came up with was this idea of, of having a student immersed in a community and having them learn about the concepts of sociology in the course and apply them to a, a assimilated community that grows and thrives from their actions. And therefore it makes sociology, the concepts come alive and it makes it a hands-on course that they feel like they have fun with. And when a person has fun, then the, the learning becomes more meaningful for them. Yeah. yeah, well, so first of all, let me tell you this. Sociology was one of my favorite courses at the University of Iowa. I can remember one of my one of the books I just loved as a child was a book called Cheaper by the Dozen, uh, written by some early well industrial engineers, but really sociologists. And so I'm opening my sociology book, and there is an entire chapter about uh, this husband and wife team who really redefined. Uh, manufacturing in the United States. And, uh, you know, uh, there were other chapters on the Westinghouse effect and and all these really cool things. But uh, there's one actually about a, a study of 
kids in Iowa that had blue eyes and brown eyes that was sort of, right. yeah, yeah, very famous. But um, I love sociology. Thinking about how you pull that off in a synchronous, meaning multi-student, virtual reality world, how does, how does that work? Well, first place, um, our online course is not synchronous, it's asynchronous. So the only synchronous courses we have in our program are the field courses where they kind of get to the boards at the end of the program. So this was an asynchronous class. Um, so what we wanted to do was, instead of having the traditional learning management system where you go in and you look at your learning modules and you click on and you read stuff and you, you, you um, submit assignments, we wanted the, the student to be an avatar that they've created that reflects what, who they feel they are moving through a city and the city becomes really the learning management system. There's an ancient uh, technique called the method of loci. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it basically is like this memory palace idea that if you want to remember uh, some type of material, you go into your mind and you visualize yourself like moving around, like uh, I might move into a castle and I go up and I open a door and I, I go to a chest and I open the chest and I find the material in the chest. And the fact of the visual spatial imagination aspect of that helps you have a deeper retention of the learned material. So we wanted to capture that as also part of this, this build. So we wanted to make it so that the students would travel around the city, they would find the different locations and each location would have different aspects of, of the class. So if you wanna learn about uh, inequality, you go to the welfare department, you go into the welfare department and you learn about inequality there. You go through simulations and experiences that help you, help you learn it at an emotional level, at a deeper level than just cognitive. Um, if you wanna learn about homelessness, you travel to the park. And in the park, when you enter the park, you enter into a simulation where you come, become a homeless woman called Rocky. And Rocky is in this park and she's got all this clutter around here and she lives there. And each one of the items is interactable. So she can pick up items around her and say, and every item keys into a flashback. And so you get the emotional connection. What does this mean to me? How, what does she remember about it? And then the park is raided. And then you have to decide as Rocky, which items you're going to grab and take with you. And as you leave the park, you're, you go into a deliverable. So an educational deliverable where you write about how you felt about that. And so the material about homelessness that you're learning becomes something that you experienced firsthand. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, the, the immersiveness is making an impact, which, which right. I love. Um, I, I want to come back to that, but before we do, I want to talk with Lauren a little bit. Now, Lauren, as I understand it, and you can introduce yourself, uh, you were a student in this course. And, mm -hmm. and for for our audience, uh, Lauren has some challenges that, that are different than other students. I'm going to let her talk about that. But uh, this was a particularly effective solution in overcoming some of those challenges. So Lauren, go ahead and introduce yourself and talk about uh, your experience in this course. Yes, um, I'm Lauren and um, I absolutely love this course. Um, some of my challenges include I have a diagnosis of ADHD and I also have epilepsy. Um, so sitting down and 
reading chapter after chapter and focusing is quite difficult but the interactive experiences definitely did help me focus and be able to retain the information and get through the course um, a lot better than I would have if I just had to sit and read and write the paper and it definitely I still remember the experiences and I was able to go through it um, at my own pace and at my own speed and um, in a more um, beneficial way to my learning style than I would have been able to in a more typical learning um, experience than you would usually get. Lauren, break that down for us a little bit. You, you went into this course and you would go into specific classes to, to learn whatever. What are some of the things that you did that you either interacted with or that were immersive that that made the content more memorable, uh, easier to learn? There, but um, so there was one interactive one that was an Anne Frank experience. So you would go in and you would do a walkthrough of um, where Anne Frank hid with her family. Um, and then after the interactive walkthrough and you saw some of Anne Frank's writing and some of Anne Frank's belongings and um, read through some of her diary and some of her living space. After you would go through that experience, you would see um, a memo from her and you would fill in some of the blanks and the information. Um, based on that learning experience instead of reading chapter after chapter after chapter and trying to retain that information and then fill out the memo you would instead have that interactive experience and then fill out that memo and that was very helpful for me because i was able to retain that information a lot better than i would have just reading chapters in a book yeah that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense you know if if it's true that a picture is worth a thousand words, then an interactive, immersive environment must be worth 10,000 words. And so, uh, you know, and, and the research that we've seen at Morehouse College, for example, you know, Morehouse launched their metaversity during uh, the pandemic and they taught the exact same course, history, world history. Uh, they taught it in a brick and mortar classroom. They taught it through a tool like Zoom, 2D, sort of what we're doing here. And then third, they taught it on their Metaversity campus. And then at the end of each of those courses, they measured three things. They measured student engagement measured by uh, class attendance. They measured uh, student satisfaction, which was uh, surveyed. And then third, student achievement, which was measured through grades. And in all three of those measurements, the Metaversity campus was head and shoulders above the other two. And so, you know, that was really good data for us to rely on as we uh, as we moved forward in visiting with other universities. And Dr. Jeslowski, uh, talk to us a little bit about what, when you're constructing these courses, uh, what are you thinking about pedagogically that that you want to achieve to be able to deliver the content, even though they may not be reading as much as they would in a traditional setting? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I, I do want to also note that there is, we do have a text in the course, but we used mm -hmm. an open educational resource 
uh, for our text. So it was uh, a free textbook. It was online, so there was no textbook costs for the students to access that. Um, and that would serve as, um, uh, it would serve as a resource for them to uh, refer back to, especially as we got farther and farther into the build, we realized we had to make a choice of if we were going to stay with traditional classwork or if we were going to deconstruct the concept of the of a higher educational class. And so in doing that, we got rid of several things that are kind of core components of traditional classrooms, like rubrics and um, uh, linear study um, and those type of things. We don't have workshops in this class. You don't have a weekly uh, due date. It's it's an open environment, and they and the student sets their own pace. They decide how they want to learn and what they want to learn first. One of the things we we really focused on, and back to your question about uh, the pedagogical um, the kind of underpinnings of this, um, one of the things we really wanted to to focus on was um, removing the fear of failure and allowing students to learn from their mistake. So in a traditional, uh, a traditional course, right, week one, you may write a paper about what is sociology. Now week two, you may write a paper on social stratification that builds on what is sociology. And then week three, you may be social status, right? And they all build off of each other. It, and that's, that can, that's a good system. But the problem is, is that if the student got a poor grade on what is sociology, then they have a shaky foundation as they're moving forward. And there's so much pressure to get it right the first time that we introduced this idea that um, the students turn in these grades and they either get they either get a pass or a try again. And if they do that, they can just they can learn from my input or in the future another instructor's input and resubmit grades uh, or, or assignments or deliverables um, until they get it right. Now they have a time frame to do that, so it's all based on their own motivation and how much they work they want to put in. But but they can learn from what they did wrong the first time and re and kind of get better and better and better. We so and that was something that came through in the in our end of course surveys. We did a series of surveys with this. We taught the pilot course as a VR course at the same time as we were teaching it as an typical online course. So we got to do some data between the two. Now, starting in November, we're going to run three different sections of the course. We're going to run the regular class, normally how it is online. We're going to run the VR course, like we just ran a pilot, and we're going to run what we call a 2D course, which is we're going to try to take all the material and put it into a class so they don't actually have to go have headsets on they can watch others. And we're going to do comparisons between the three of them. But one of the things that came out really strong in the surveys was students liked the idea of not having all that pressure to get it right the first time. Trying and failing and then learning from your mistakes and trying again seemed to have a huge impact on success ratios. We Our, our students scored dramatically higher in the VR course than they do in the regular class. And I, I believe that's one of the core components of why that was so successful. Interesting. And so when you say dramatically higher, are you able to define that anymore, drill down on that a little bit? Well, we only have one class to compare. So, um, uh, but the classes we're teaching, um, our, our students scored A's and B's in the VR class. And we had one, one student who literally just um, 
kind of gave up on the class right at the beginning. And I couldn't engage her to kind of uh, come back in. Um, and so we had our, all our scores were ranking about um, Bs and As. Um, in the regular class, uh, it's a tough class for students to start off with. And we, we have a lot of uh, Cs and below. Um, so I don't have direct numbers on that because the, um, the population of that would be so, so low because we only had seven students in this VR class right now. Now, as we go forward in a year from now, ask me the same question, I'll have a better answer for you. <laughs> and I will do so. And your early results are, are very similar to what they found at Morehouse. And so, you know, our hope is that we, and it makes sense, you know, when you are in an immersive metaversity VR world, you're focused. Right. And um, so, uh, Lauren, what type of headset were you using in this class? And, and was it a headset that you owned or is it one provided by the school? It's one that I owned. I had a Quest 2. Excellent. And, and tell me what you uh, what your experience was with the Quest 2. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Or what did you like about it? Um, I liked it. Um... It's one that I've had. I didn't really play it much before. Um, it's actually I had bought it for my daughter because she liked Beat Saber. So <laughs> it was just one I had at home that my daughter liked to play on. So I just used it instead of getting one from the school because I figured if I have one, why risk breaking one that I was borrowing? So it was just one that I had at home. I liked it. Um, like I said, I'd never really um, used it much. I'm more of um a PS5 player, so and you know PC gaming, but um, I liked it. It was easy um, to navigate. I um, I liked the smoothness of the controls, so I really I enjoyed the quest. You know, and, and um, let me ask you this: uh, the learning curve. So, like thinking back, you know, when when somebody learns to drive, you know, I can remember my my. Dad took me out in a parking lot and you know, I sort of got my feet wet and then I uh, took driver's ed and that was, you know, a full semester. But learning to drive a VR headset is it's a little bit the same, just, a, you know, you, you pick it up pretty quickly. Talk to us about your journey from first putting it on to really becoming comfortable using the headset, knowing where the buttons are and navigating around in, in a headset. It was honestly pretty easy because it has, um, when you look down, it had on-screen um, guides. It was really, really easy to figure out pretty quickly. It had menu buttons. I mean, it was very, very user-friendly. It was very easy to navigate. And were there any environments that you went into that you just said, wow, that, that blows my mind? Or, or was it all just sort of standard? It was really pretty. A lot of them, like there was the science ones, and then there was the um, there was one that we went to because there was an orientation, and we went into like the forest, and there was some really really pretty scenery that we ended up going into. It was very very nice. Yeah, one of the studies I saw from a uh, Taiwanese university, they uh, put uh, I think it was an EKG on the brains of uh, these Chinese students that were. Uh, learning in class, learning online, and then learning in a VR headset. And then they measured the electrical activity that was going on in their brain. And, and in class, there wasn't much electrical activity. Uh, in the online class, there's a little more. 
But then in the VR headset, it just lit up because they were getting so much information coming in and they were so engaged with it that the electrical activity was just working all over. And I think that's sort of the physiological piece of why students learn because their their mind is completely engaged. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that the experience you had, Lauren, or something different? Absolutely. It was very engaging. I really enjoyed it, especially the walking through and and um, being able to like navigate and you could teleport and you could go up and you could actually interact with different things on the screen and you could build and you could um, pull things in and you could just all of a sudden have a shark in your road. And I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun, honestly, just creating your own world within a city that was created for you. So I enjoyed it. Last question for you, Lauren. Um, so you've been diagnosed with a, a particular type of epilepsy and mm -hmm. and what is it that you have to be aware of um trying to avoid and, and how did it work out for you with with this condition inside a virtual reality headset that's got a lot of stimulation coming your way um i have to be aware of like strobe effects flashing lights certain Things. I have to just make sure I'm very, very aware of fast changing, um, things like that. But honestly, there wasn't any. Um, the way that I normally know that I'm having a seizure is I'll get a strong smell disturbance. And I had absolutely none. Um, so I don't have um, what people know as like dropping on the ground seizures. And like, I don't have anything like that to where it's like, oh, this is, you know, terrifying for everyone around you. I'll, I know when I'm having a seizure because I'll, I'll get like strong smell disturbances or I'll pause and I'll freeze and I'll stare blankly. I didn't have any types of those. I'll know that I'm having a seizure because I'll have a very, very severe headache and I'll know when to avoid the headset because even the one day I woke up and I told um, Dr. Rob, I'm like, yeah, I, today's going to be an offline learning day. I'm going to read through the book. I'm not going to have the headset on today because I know I need to call my neurologist. I'm, I woke up with a strong headache. I'm going to have my offline learning. I'm going to read through the chapters tomorrow. I'm going to do my online headset stuff just so I don't risk anything. But I honestly didn't experience any type of seizure activity while I was in headset um i just wanted to take extra precautions but there was no flashing lights no effects i had absolutely no ill effects at all during any of the classes in headset yeah that's that's great with you know for us building this product in this world uh those are the things you want to hear and and so i appreciate you sharing your perspective on that dr jeslowski let, let's talk a little bit about what our First of all, talk to me about how the mechanics of how you deployed your program. Uh, you had a certain number of headsets you were able to share, and and how did how did that work out? Uh, are, are your did you have to ship those headsets, or did students come in and pick them up? Right, right. Well, um, okay. So in our pilot, um, we shipped all the headsets out um, with a kind of a prototype contract that just indicated that um, that they were being provided for free um, for the use in the course and that at the end of the class that there was an expectation that they um, send them back. We provided the, the uh, postage. Um, 
free of any kind of damage or anything. And that if there was damage, then then there would have to be you know a fee involved with that. Moving forward, because we're trying to figure out how to set this up so that we can continuously offer this. And we offer uh, introduction to sociology constantly, um, two times a term. Um, so we're trying to get enough headsets and stagger it so that there can be a set out and the set being whatever, you know, re revamped after they come back, reclean, maybe new cushions and all that put on. Um, and they're, they're working on redoing the contract as well. There's been more of a push that, um, that the con that the headsets might be charged to financial aid up front, but then refunded back when they get receive them back. Um, and that's all being dealt with, you know, like levels above my head, sort of speak. But but um, they're trying to figure out because we have our next our next go is going to be in November. Um, so they want to figure out the contract and all that by then. Let me ask you this about that particular issue. Was Lauren your only student who, who had her own headset or did others maybe have it? Uh, this first run, she was the only one. Uh, we So we put out a... Um, we, we worked with our enrollment team. And when they were enrolling students, there was a question they asked them, you know, would you be interested in this type of class? And if so, here's kind of the parameters of the class. Here's any concerns. If you have any kind of these disorders, you might not want to. And as part of that kind of question process, they said, do you have your own headsets or would you need, would you need one sent to you? Um, and so our enrollment team really handled all the preliminary of getting people brought in. Um, wow. Yeah. So and, and so uh first of all, when they came back, did any of them come back damaged or were they the only only issue we had is one came back with um a heavy smoke. It must have been a smoking house, a house with a smoker, uh, because it came back sm kind of smelling of smoke. So they replaced, right? They took it apart, they cleaned it with a special cleaner yeah. uh that removes the scents, and then they put new um cushions yep. on it. Um and that takes a little a little bit of time, but um, we're we're just we're we're developing those systems, you know, so that we can have it running. Um, since this is a a pilot program, uh, if we can get it going, then I can kind of gently push for more classes to be done in this way. That's that's my goal. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And what what's interesting to me is really, first of all, these headsets are built to withstand. 14 year old boys gaming in them. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're, they can withstand a lot. Um, but I would also say that uh, if you spend $300 per headset and you get six semesters out of it, three years, which, which one should be able to, um, essentially you could charge students $50, $60 per semester and break even on the headset. And I wouldn't think that for most students, fifty or sixty dollars would would be too much, especially if they're able to bypass the textbook charge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Textbook will cost you much more than that these days. So, yeah. one of the things we put in that we haven't touched on was our boss battles. It, I wouldn't mind just sharing that with you real quick, if that's possible, Steve. Um, I didn't know if Laura was going to mention them before, but since we were, did it as a nonlinear study where students can go any direction they want, right? Um, there was different neighborhoods in the city that they could complete. Uh, there was five different neighborhoods and they could choose to just work on one neighborhood like down uh, town square 
or um, Campus Town or whatever. They could work on that one thing and finish it, or they could jump around, like Lauren had told. She'd like to jump around to the different areas. But we wanted to make sure at the at the completion of each neighborhood that there was like basically the effect of a final exam for that neighborhood. And how we designed it was um, so students are walking around in the in the immersive city. We called it Curiosity, right? And so they're walking around Curiosity. And if they, they find key persons, there's one key person in each of the neighborhoods. So in Town Square, it's the mayor. Um, in Campus Town, it's the dean. Um, in Downtown, it's the social worker. So you you, there's one key person. And when you find the key person, you're able to go into a dialogue with this person. Um, and what, what it is, is you sit down in their office or whatever, and you talk to them and they talk, they ask you questions and you're re the entire dialogue between you and this, um, and this, uh, it's not AI, it, it would be because it was a recorded, um, but um, it's, be it's being recorded and then sent to me. So what we've actually done is taken an essay exam and, and re-envisioned re it as a dialogue. Um, and students seem to react really well. Now, this is the point where we had to really, in the pro, in the pilot, we really had to keep tweaking it and going back and making sure it's working, right? Um, if if there, anybody's freezing up or anything. But it, it seemed like there was a lot, a really good reaction to doing the, like the exams as just discussions that you have. And then if you're going through the discussion and you're like, boy, I don't, you know, I don't really know what social stratification is. You're able to stop and go, you know what? I need to reschedule this appointment for another day and go back and research it and then come back again and try it again. So interesting. So and, and as you may know, Dr. Jaslowski, we are folding in AI conversant uh, tutors, instructors and historical figures. In fact, uh, this morning I went into Edison's lab and, and had a conversation with uh, Thomas Edison. It was uh, it was a little bit funny. We're still tweaking uh, what's in his brain. But at one point I asked him, I said, Dr. Edison, it's great to meet you. How are you feeling today? And he basically said, look, I'm dead. I don't feel anything. <laughs> so, um, but, but we have a lot of hope for how you might be able to integrate um, AI characters. And we're going to give you the ability to to build your own AI characters for your classes. So, you know, thinking about that, what are some of the things you might like to do if uh, if you have that ability? Well, okay, I have a lot of ideas uh, and I will tend to like, okay, hold back <laughs> a little at a time. But one of the things they do, and Lauren went through this exercise in this, um, in the introduction of sociology course, they do a thing called the poverty project poverty project. So they have a, a certain amount of money that they are allowed to spend every day in rules to live in their real life, right? So I think, I can't remember what it is, like $10 a day they have to live mm -hmm. on, or something, right, Lauren? Okay. And so then they have to keep track of how, of that experience. Like I'm only allowed to shower with a cold shower for five minutes a day for the seven days or, you know, and I'm only allowed to spend this much money on food and I'm only allowed to drive this far. And after that amount, I have to pay money out of my $10. So there's this whole poverty uh, project that we have them do in the real world. And then they, and then they talk about it. What I was, I've been talking with our, um, we have kind of a, our own team here that, uh, you know, the, the, um, 
build instructional team, what I, what I would like to do is add in, take out the concept of that they get $10 a day. And I'd really like to add in an augmented reality piece where they have to go out into their community and, and get the money, beg for the money, ask for the money. But what they're doing is that we have AI capable right on their phone. So, so they'd walk around and there'd be an AI character there and they'd have to approach the AI character in their own neighborhood, right? And ask them, hey, do you have any money? I'm, I'm, I'm you know, and, and experience what it feels like to beg. And then that AI would have the choice of how they're gonna respond. Do they give them money? Do they tell them to get out? Do they tell them they're gonna call the police, right? And so it would be a safe way, I think, to, um, to have that experience and to get a deeper understanding of people who are really struggling with abject poverty, um, then, you know, then, and, and I think it'd be more meaningful than just following a set of rules. So yeah. I, I, I pitched that idea and uh, um, like a lot of my ideas, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's come back to that. And so maybe as this pilot goes forward, I'd like to see us add that augmented reality piece into it as well, um, well with, with some AI components. I can say this, the augmented reality piece for us is, you know, probably a year away. I mean, we could do it now, but just on our roadmap, but we could do something very similar, take that same city scene and and put the AI, converse an AI in there. You can build your own character. So there's a lot of flexibility there. So you could do, we might be able to then do the poverty project as your avatar because they're guiding them around um, curiosity. It'd be nice to add in some AI characters in there because you can, as you're in the city, if there's other students, you can actually bump into other students and converse with them or myself if I'm walking around. But it would be nice to have uh, like an AI population that's moving around um, to make it a little bit more, even more real. Well, that's where we're going. And uh, you could probably start that next semester if you work with our team. So Lauren, uh, before we wrap up here, we're at the end of our time. What, um, any last thoughts that, that you want to convey to this audience trying to figure out this whole immersive learning component to higher education? No, I'm just uh, interested to see how far it'll go. It was definitely um, a really good experience to have and I'm glad I got to be a part of it. Well, wonderful, and I we, I appreciate you sharing your experiences with uh, with us here today, Doctor Jeslowski. Any wrap up comments for uh, our audience today? I, I just that I mean I think education should be fun, and um, it, learning should be meaningful to us. If, if it's just concepts or vocabulary that we're learning, um, it needs to be broken down so that it becomes becomes real, and we see the act applicability to our lives. And I think that using a game setting, right, in a VR is a perfect way to kind of make these these things come alive. And I think there's a there's a wide range across the behavioral sciences that haven't been tapped into, um, haven't tapped into this technology and this modality of education yet. But I, I think if they if we can if we can and move forward with these ideas and take chances, right, we can create um, an educational system that not only transfers knowledge, but also inspires students to love learning. Well, my final remarks are right in line with yours. You know, for most of human history, we learned in the real world, out in the wild. 
it, there's only a small slice of human history where we have domesticated education and, and required students to sit in rows and at desks and to learn that way. And, and there's a lot of value to that, but this gives us the ability to allow humans to learn like we've always learned out in the wild, out in the world, even if initially it's a, uh, it's a 3D immersive world. It's, it's much closer to how we, we know uh, to learn. So uh, Dr. Jaslowski, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today on the Victory XR show. We appreciate it. And uh, to all of our listeners and watchers, we appreciate you uh, checking in to see what we're doing and feel free to reach out to us. Again, I'm Steve Grubbs, your Victory XR host, and you can always email me at steve at victoryxr.com or reach out to me on LinkedIn. Thank you.